0: Chapter 23 of The Social War of Nineteen Hundred, or The Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Social War of Nineteen Hundred, or The Conspirators and Lovers by Simon Landis. Chapter 23 thrilling prison scene between lucinda and deacon stew miss lucinda armington was not visited or molested by any one for several days after the disguised and whipped monster suddenly disappeared from her presence through a secret door therefore she had time for reflection she thought almost continually about her beloved victor what was he doing or where might he be at that moment if she could only meet him once more only for a short hour how happy she would be her appetite failed her and she could not sleep without continually dreaming the most horrible things and her dear victor would always appear in her dreams who was surrounded by reptiles and vermin of the nastiest character which did their best to bite and sting him to the heart when he would weep and wail for assistance and although she saw it all and he begged her to assist him she was entirely powerless and could not as much as say a kind word to him or keep these venomous pests away from him after waking from these awful dreams she always felt that her betrothed and beloved victor was surrounded by fiends or was even then undergoing severe punishment for serving god and man she endeavoured to console herself by scriptural passages but she had not the nerve and faith That were necessary to face such martyrdom although she was not thinking of her own sufferings but of the dangers and tortures that threatened dear victor whilst in the midst of these meditations early in the morning a private door opened and deacon rob stew stood before her at first she felt like flying to him and embracing him because he was an old friend of the family and good deacon THE DEACON SAW SHE LOOKED KINDLY UPON HIM, WHICH MADE HIM BOLD, WHEN HE ADVANCED TOWARD HER AND SAID, MY DEAR LUCINDA, I AM DELIGHTED TO SEE YOU, ALTHOUGH VERY SORRY TO FIND YOU IN THIS PLACE. LIKE LIGHTNING, THE THOUGHT FLASHED THROUGH HER BRAIN, YOU scoundrel, CAN DISASSEMBLE BEAUTIFULLY, AND HER COUNTENANCE CHANGED TO A FROWN and hatred looked out of her determined eyes when the pious deacon asked what is the matter with my sweet child do not look so distressed i have come to offer you freedom and my heart and hand in marriage avaunt you fiend i know you now and you need not dissemble and act the hypocrite any longer i say you better be gone or i'll give you another beating that will leave worse marks than the one you now carry on your nose do you hear me be gone furiously ejaculated miss armington who was fully convinced that the disguised man whom she had pummeled a few days before in this cell and that in the dark was this saintly deacon he now flew into a passion and said miss armington how dare you insult me in this way when i came to you in the kindest manner and with the holiest intentions you are an ingrate who deserves no better treatment than your receiving in this cell and i shall leave you in a moment as you request it but before i go let me say that i am deacon rob stew and i would have you know that my power and influence is greater than any monarch in europe Therefore, beware how you insult and cast me off. You are, deacon Rob Stew, the powerful and influential saint, yes. And you were handsome before I destroyed your beautiful nose the other day, when I beat you like a howling cur. You beat me like a howling cur, interposed the deacon. When and how was that? If you don't leave me, I'll show you how exclaimed miss armington her eyes flashing fire and fury the deacon rather winced and feared that she might make another onslaught on his saintly carcass when he changed the conversation and said very sanctimoniously my dear young sister now come let us be serious and talk like christians not like sinners For you must know that i love you have always hoped you would become my wife and had it not been for that profligate innovator victor juno i undoubtedly would have remained foremost in your affections may the curse of an avenging god fall upon your leprous tongue and the spirit of unrest never cease to molest and torture your wicked soul until you retract every word that you have ever spoken against that honorable gentleman yes may god sow thorns and thistles in your path that your body may be pricked and torn to pieces by them as you have endeavoured to lacerate mine and the noble victor's hearts by your bloody conspiracies against us both you are a detestable villain and i wonder that you are not afraid that God will strike you dead forthwith, and send your loathsome soul into the regions of everlasting torment. Do you hear that? Now you have my sentiments. Therefore leave me instantly, interposed Miss Armington, in a manner that meant mischief. I pray you listen for a moment to me, and then, if you are not satisfied, I will quit you forever. Downheartedly said the deacon. Well, say on, then. "'But no more insults. Remember that,' responded Miss Armington. "'You blame me for things of which I am entirely innocent. "'I have never conspired against you, but I cannot say that much for Victor Juno. "'Accused falsifier that you are, would you damn your own hypocritical soul over and over "'by adding insult to injury?' interrupted she." "'Hear me through,' said he. "'Before you become so severe, "'I do not wish to shield myself from any crime or sin "'that I may have committed on your behalf.' "'What do you mean?' interrupted Miss Armington. "'By saying that you have committed crime or sin in my behalf. "'My dear Lucinda, I love you, "'and love is blind to everything. "'It was this extreme affection for you, sweet lady.' that drove me to commit acts that nothing else in the world could have driven me to do, sorrowfully said the deacon. I have never done anything to encourage you in that direction, and if what you say is true, of which I have my doubts, I pity you. But that is all the consolation you can ever expect from me even had i possessed any regard for you the acts which you have committed against him whose very footprints i love more than the entire existence of thousands like yourself would have caused me to spurn you indignantly ejaculated miss armington is there then no hope for me i was told by pat o'connor "'that you only took to Victor Juno because I did not propose marriage to you,' said he. "'Are you fool enough to believe what my servant told you?' she exclaimed. "'Why should I not have believed it? Did you not always treat me kindly, and appeared glad to see me at your house, until that innovator made his appearance?' said Deacon Stew." "'Sir, if you desire my audience, even in this prison-cell, "'cease to call my beloved victor names, "'or I'll refuse to listen to you,' proudly exclaimed Miss Armington, "'looking at him as if she really detested him. "'Well, proud lady,' said he, "'I then shall be compelled to remove this beloved victor from your reach, "'and unless you promise to lend me your ear and give me some hope,' i shall cause his death what would you become a murderer would you add this foul crime to your already blackened deeds done in the body avaunt i say or i'll tear you limb from limb you miserable fiend and save you the trouble or pleasure of injuring my beloved victor most furiously exclaimed Miss Armington, who was now almost insane with fear and horror lest her faithful betrothed should be made to suffer tortures on her account. She thought, For aught I know, he is now enduring the pangs of a lingering death, because I'm sure that this vile deacon would be guilty of anything to gain his selfish and brutal ends. Oh, Victor, Victor! May the infinite hand of Jehovah protect and guard you against the wiles, plots, and conspiracies of these bloody people. What have you ever done to injure them? What have you ever done to injure anyone? You are so noble, so benevolent, so very generous, and so zealous to improve your race." "'that I cannot see what benefit it is to a man "'to do good in this world.' "'After looking upon her for a few minutes "'with dumbfounded amazement, the deacon said, "'What are you thinking about, Miss Armington? "'Do you not feel well? "'If I have caused you pain, I humbly ask your pardon, "'and if my presence distresses you, I will leave you. "'But can I not hope for a little encouragement?' No, you cannot, but you can drive me mad, and then you may be able to justify yourself before your brethren and the world for placing me in this cell. This may be the object of your visits here. So now, then, please leave me. When she fainted dead away. End of chapter twenty three, recording by John Brandon.